A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This is the month, this month shall be for you, the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled with water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading Psalm chapter, Psalm 78. Verses 14 through 25. In the daytime he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. 
He sent them food in abundance. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, shall be, world without end. Amen. A reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson tonight comes to us from the gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. John. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand that. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my head and my hands. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated.
Maundy Thursday. Maundy comes from the Latin word for command or message. It's where we get the word mandate. It comes from the Latin word mandatum. It's how the in the old uh, Latin church liturgy, it's taken from the text of John 13, verse 34, a little further down in what we read, where Jesus says, a new command I give to you, or it says, mandatum, um, mandatum novum duvobis, a new command I give to you. So mandatum kind of gets tossed around from Latin to Gaelic to Old English and comes out as mondi. So this is mondi Thursday, or commandment Thursday. Tonight we heard from John. Unlike the other three Gospels, John doesn't go into a lot of detail about Jesus' explanation of the bread and the wine as he instituted the Lord's Supper before the Passover feast. Instead, John focuses on a different aspect of the evening. He gives us an extended narrative of Jesus actually washing his disciples' feet. It's a very powerful image, and it's an important story about who Jesus is and about what kind of king he is. I started out uh, college at a Christian college, didn't finish up there, but that's a longer story for a different time. And I was part of a student theater group there. It's actually where I met Elizabeth. And every year on Maundy Thursday, this student theater group at this Christian college would get together and we would wash one another's feet. And to a lot of us, this was uncomfortable. And so oftentimes before the service, people would, some of us would scrub our feet and and put on fresh socks and and dry you know get just get them absolutely pristine so that whoever had to wash our feet at the service was basically presented with these like surgically sterilized feet because it was uncomfortable to have someone doing such menial work for us acting in such a subservient role we generally found that people were actually more uncomfortable receiving foot washing than giving it to others Washing someone's feet when they come into the house for dinner was a a custom. It was a tradition in the ancient Near East. It's actually mentioned several times in the Old Testament. But as John shows us how Jesus did it, it was was almost always the job of, of the lowest of the low servants. Now, in some cases, the master of the house would actually do it, but only in a very ceremonial and brief way and only to the most honored and valued of guests. Usually, in a day-to-day ongoing living of life, this was menial servant grunt work. And yet, here we have Jesus. The same Jesus who just a little while earlier had ridden into Jerusalem and the people along the way put palms on the ground and cheered for him. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, blessed be the King of David. It's the same Jesus who for three years would sometimes have thousands and thousands of people listening to him teach and seeing him heal. And yet this same Jesus now gets up from the table in the middle of a very long meal and he strips down to an undershirt. He ties a towel around his waist. John is showing us that Jesus basically changed into servant's clothes. And he performed the lowly task that only the bottom rung of the slaves would do. This is the king. This is our king. He is a servant king. The son of man who came not to be served, but to serve. This is a king who humbles himself to the point where he will wash the feet of his friends, of his followers, because he loved them, therefore he served them. But this is just Thursday. 
This, what Jesus is doing right now for his disciples, is nothing compared to what was about to happen the next day. Because by the next evening, he would be dead. Because he loved them. The creator of the universe, humbling himself to become a human being. Humbling himself to wash the feet of his followers. Humbling himself to die on a cross. To go from celebrated leader to lowly servant in one week. And right in the midst of his foot washing, Jesus gives us a clue about its significance. In verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and he returned to them. To, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, have washed your feet, you therefore should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he's right. And then he says, now that you know these things, blessed are you, happy are you when you do them. And he's right about that too. We are blessed when we serve one another. We are happier when we serve one another. And our Father in heaven sees what we are doing and is glorified by that. Anytime we can make much of the name of God, it is a blessing to us. And although the Bible says that apart from the work of Christ, it is literally impossible to please God. When we have Christ, when we are united with Christ, when we are a follower of Christ, we know that our Father in heaven actually delights in the good works that his people do for one another in his name. I said before that washing each other's feet in in my college theater group could be really uncomfortable, and it could but it was also beautiful and it was moving. It was such a a tangible and personal reminder of who we are called to be and what we are actually privileged to get to do for one another. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So we serve a king who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew says that at the end of his gospel and John says it right here. And we are not only servants of Christ and followers of Christ, but we are also messengers of Christ. He tells us to go and tell others about me. Messengers of the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And yet, we can't be greater than the one whose whose greatness we have been sent to proclaim. So if that guy is willing to get up from the table in the middle of a meal, strip down to servant's clothes, bend down on the floor and wash the stinky, dirty feet of his disciples. Where does that leave us? It leaves us with something a little later in the chapter. It leaves us with the reason that this day has the name that it does. When Jesus says, a new command I give to you, in verse 34, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So that's so key to remember for me because the serving is actually part of the message. We are servants of Christ and we are messengers of Christ, and those two things are tied together. One of the ways that the early church exploded and spread so quickly is that the unbelieving pagan world would see how sacrificially And fervently, these Christians loved and served one another and the people around them. 
Jesus tells us, as I have loved you, so, that, so you must love one another. It's crucial that we understand the weight of what he's saying. He's saying, just as I have loved you, or, or in the same way that I have loved you, you must show love for one another. And he's saying this as he's probably still drying himself off from washing his disciples' feet. He's saying this as he's given them a picture of bread and wine to show how his body was going to be broken and how his blood would be spilled for them and for you and for me. His disciples already knew that he was the Messiah. We've been going through Mark for the last couple months, and right in the middle of Mark, the disciples figure out, you're the Messiah, the promised king, the one who was supposed to be high and lifted up. But they didn't know because they either hadn't been paying attention or they hadn't believed it yet. They didn't know that he was going to be high and lifted up onto a Roman cross and left to die in the noonday heat. They either didn't know or they didn't believe it or they just didn't get it yet. And whenever you talk about the disciples not getting it yet, I always like to go back to Peter. This is the guy who is probably Jesus' best friend, his closest disciple, the one who gets talked about in the Gospels more than any other disciple does. And he really tries to be helpful all the time. And he just whiffs so badly time after time. Jesus comes to him to wash his feet in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will. No, said Peter, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter just flips it and goes in the opposite direction to the other extreme and says, well, then, Lord, just wash all of me if you're going to wash my feet. How often in our lives is that our response to God's offer of grace? For me, I think these two sentences of Peter sum up a lot of how we react to God. Either we're so uncomfortable with the idea of this servant king graciously giving us what we didn't deserve and could never deserve, or we want it all. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We don't want what Jesus wants to give us. We want what we want. Well, Jesus, if if you say you're going to wash my feet, then how about if you just do things the way I want you to do them and and Forget what you want to do for me. How about if I just tell you my plan and you bless it and we'll just go with that? I'm quite confident that I know better than you how this whole thing should go. So let's think about the, the, the first one of those. Jesus uh, trying to wash Peter's feet and Peter just recoiling. He gets really put off by the idea of his master serving him. If the Messiah wants to wash your feet, let him. This is not a merit-based scholarship. You cannot earn the favor of Jesus. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn the God of the universe bending down to wash your feet. And then the next day, willingly dying in your place. You cannot earn it. This is the idea of grace. Remember, there's three ways that God can interact with his creation. There's justice, there's mercy, and there's grace. Justice is getting what you deserve, Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. So justice is, you're going down the highway, you're going 100 miles an hour down the highway, and the cop pulls you over and he writes you a big ticket. You are getting what you deserve in that instance. Mercy 
is going down the highway at 100 miles an hour, and the cop pulls you over, but he decides to just let you off with a warning. Grace is going down the highway at 100 miles an hour. The cop pulls you over, but instead of giving you a huge ticket, and instead of letting you off with a warning, he gives you a brand new car and a check for a million dollars. That's grace, and it's, it's strange, and it's off-putting, and it's almost offensive. People should get what they deserve. But the question is, what do we deserve? We are all sinners. We have all broken ourselves against God's laws over and over and over again. So what we deserve is death, damnation, eternal abandonment from God. But with God's grace, what do these undeserving sinners get? They get embraced. They get adopted. They get reconciled to God. And they get God bending down to wash their feet. God sees us as his children because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus was going to do the night after this. But then there's that second part where Peter says, well then, how about not just my whole feet, but how about all of me? We either get uncomfortable with grace or we get ungrateful with grace. God, I want what I want. I want what I want. So let's just go with that. But that's not how this works. Jesus tells Peter that if he has been washed, if he has been baptized, if he is part of the family of God, then he's already clean. It's done. And yet, Jesus still washes Peter's feet to show him the kind of servant king that he is. He still washes Peter's feet to show him how we should respond to this grace that God gives us to one another. So Christ gives us a command to love one another because he has loved us and in the same manner that he has loved us. Christ loves us with a transforming love, with a life-changing love. And that's what he commands us to do to one another. It's not a feeling and it's not a noun. It doesn't say feel love to one another. It says love one another. It is a, it's a verb, and not only that, but it's an action verb. It involves sweat and blood and tears and bruised knees and soiled towels and an aching back and stinking dirty feet. And it's what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ because of what Jesus has already done for us. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it's one of those things, I say this a lot, it's simple right? It's not overly complicated. It's simple, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's hard sometimes, at least for me. It's hard to get out of my comfort zone. It's hard for me to stop being so curved inward on my own desires that I remember to get down on my knees and wash someone else's feet. Jesus gives us this example because he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly where he was going. He's going there. He's going to the cross. And he was going to be killed, and he knew that it was about to happen. And yet, on his last night, he still chose to do menial work, servant's work, slave work. He chose to humble himself in the form of a slave because he loved his friends, because he loved us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's the God that we worship. 
That's the king that we follow. As we reflect on that, may we more humble ourselves for one another and love one another more fully. May we humble ourselves for others and bring glory to our Father in heaven. Because Jesus, through whom everything was created, humbled himself to serve the very people who were about to betray and abandon him about 12 hours later. He has given us this example that we should also do just as he has done for us. And if we know these things, and if we remember these things, and if we act on these things, then then truly blessed are we, happy are we, if we do them. Amen.